Minutes from Latvia with Mike Collier. Welcome back to Minutes from Latvia with me, Mike Collier, brought to you by Latvian Public Media, Latvia Sabia Disk Media. I have another guest in the booth with me today, and I'm delighted to be speaking to someone who I would say is probably the most experienced press officer, press, how would you say, press expert, not exactly marketing, it's a slightly different to that, but someone who's been involved in promoting the image of Latvia, increasing knowledge about Latvia, and uh, generally interesting people in Latvia for quite a long time now, uh, and that's Ivo Rosenberger, who's currently the... Uh, what's the the head? <laughs> the head. The head the of director. Uh, Latvia's <laughs> institutes or director. I always get mixed up between heads, chair people, and uh, you know, chairman of the board. I think it's not so important. It's just that you have to make a deal there where you are. But I'm so happy to be back here at the Latvian radio. I started here, so that's my first job. And uh, I was so fond uh, working here for two years. And uh, I was a radio, radio journalist uh, also in Tallinn. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was my first, so to say, international experience. And uh, I, I'm, I'm so glad every time I have to come back here. Well, this, uh, particularly the Estonian connection, is something which has really come to the fore in the last few years. And in fact, I've got to admit, I did go to Estonia yesterday myself <laughs> with my family for uh, for a day out. So it's it, there's certainly a lot of cross-border traffic happening between oh, Estonia and Oh, I have to Latvia. admit uh, that uh, one-eighth of my blood is Estonian. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's important these days, I think. But um, if we could just begin by talking, well, as we've mentioned your background here at uh, Latvia's Radio as well, maybe just... Uh, sort of your CV because you've been closely involved with some of the most prominent figures uh, in the last 25 years of Latvian history, including President Vajdovic Freiberger and uh, Prime Minister Leimdotter Straujuma. And I keep myself asking uh, why it's happening so. <laughs> Every time I, I uh, get uh, some kind of new job and new uh, personality that I have to work with, I'm asking, well, that's really honor for me and why that's me. <laughs> but, uh, okay, I, I try to do my best what I can there. And working with uh, President Vajdovic Freiberg, I mean, that must have been a very exciting time. As I say, five universities. <laughs> that's that's real. Uh, one university that you officially mm. uh, finish, and then the, working with her was five universities. Uh, so, uh, of course, it's uh, to train your foreign languages and uh, uh, also to train all kinds of responsibilities. So you have to take a responsibility of every word that you're t- uh, saying and you have to uh, understand that everything what you do in your life could be connected with the image of uh, the president. So uh, that's a bit hard life to do, mm. but <laughs> somehow, somehow I managed. Well, uh, from the journalistic point of view, I've always wanted to have someone in the position you're in now where I can ask them, how it actually physically works in terms of speaking for someone else because you know sometimes I will contact someone maybe even yourself and ask for a line or a quote from prime minister or from the president or something now how does it then work do you go to them and say can you give me a line or do you know you have a certain remit to be able to say certain things on certain subjects or or does it just vary from person to person it depends on every situation and varies on every person because uh, I really uh, when I I start working with somebody or for some institution, I really try to find out 
what kind of language that person uses, not just what that person thinks and the way of thinking, but also what kind of language uh, the person is using. But because I'm I'm having this uh, background of uh, philology, mm. so every word for me counts, and that's why it's so important to understand uh, to to find out those specific words. Even uh, okay, you can be more successful in that or not, but at least uh, to to have your quote sound like that person but also of course uh, you know in general terms what uh, your prime minister or president is uh, thinking about one problem or one challenge and and you just uh, now if you have a time you can recheck if you don't have a time then it's your own uh, responsibility i think that's a really interesting point because particularly in the Twitter age. I mean, you just know when some when something's tweeted from yeah. uh, an official and you yeah. know it doesn't sound like them. I yeah. mean, it really stands out. But if it does sound like them, it's actually very, very impressive because you're <laughs> going to think, wow, this person's really on the ball. They reacted yeah. really quickly. So sometimes there'll be something where something happens in a press conference. I mean, this has happened to me. Uh, you'll tweet something in a press conference, a quote or something, and then miraculously, while the, conf- the press conference is still happening, they will have tweeted it out. And you thought, <laughs> yes. well, I didn't even see them do yes. that. <laughs> and then you think, well, how naive am I that the yeah. press guy is sitting in the That's in the real art of uh, PR specialists. So if somebody can do that, they are, I think, to my mind, they are good uh, PR specialists. Not because they want uh, to, to uh, make their uh, prime ministers or presidents look better, but mm. uh, they just... Uh, show who they are and in what way they are talking and thinking. So, but when you started with uh, President uh, Freiberger back in 1998, that was you know very different sort of communications world, and Latvia still fairly fresh from regaining independence didn't have a lot of experience of promoting itself and, and, and marketing itself. Was it a case of learning on the job or were there sort of examples you looked at that you thought, well, we can kind of emulate this? Yeah, you are so right, because uh, my first, actually, so to say, uh, school or university was uh, uh, assistant press secretary work uh, by President Ulmanis. Uh, because then I was really, I was a radio journalist. Uh, I was uh, 20, I don't remember, two years maybe old. And uh, I didn't uh, finish any courses of PR or something. Uh, it was just my understanding uh, how what uh, journalists would be interested in, in what way I have to deliver the information so that uh, journalists would uh, interested to quote it uh, and so on. And um, that was... <laughs> so, some stories are really great from that uh, period, but uh, uh, for uh, the uh, period of Vairovitje Freiberga, I was uh, already more experienced. Even that was one year later, just. But um, somehow, I, I really, uh, my position was number one: what sort of information journalists need. And uh, I understood that uh, they need information fast, so I have to be fast at uh, what I'm doing. And uh, so that's two basic principles, and then, of course, you build up. Mm. One thing that I guess was in the air then and is still in the air now, there have been constant uh, conferences, discussions about it, is this word Baltic and whether Mm -hmm. it has any kind of value in terms of raising the profile of Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania. Uh, I mean, certainly the decade that I've been here, this just 
it seems to be in perpetual discussion. And we had a slightly new angle on this debate just this week with the visit of the new Estonian president, Kersti Kaljulaid, where she was suggesting that maybe something more like a Nordic Benelux might be more beneficial to sort of break away from... Well, it's a word that, if we haven't decided what it's really all about by now, it's probably not really worth much, is it? I mean, what, what's your take on this? Is this a worthwhile discussion to carry on having? I think yes, uh, but uh, first thing is substance. What do we mean by, by that new term, so mm. to say? And uh, I really believe that uh, Baltic, uh, Nordic... Uh, so to say, uh, cooperation is still so much valuable. And today we really see that uh, Europe is going through uh, a lot of changes and we'll see a lot more. And uh, in uh, this period, we ha just have to have a vision what we want, not where some other uh, whatever powers or states would like us to be mm. and uh, what terms they would like us to use. But what do we want from that situation, new situation in Europe? And I think really that uh, innovation and startup uh, uh, ideas uh, certainly give some hope for this region and uh, that I see from numbers of uh, uh, examples. And uh, I really believe uh, whatever term we find, okay, this is first proposal, Nordic Benelux, but... Uh, um, I think that this uh, image of Baltic states is quite strong. And I certainly, I'm using that a lot. When I'm mm. abroad, I'm using that a lot because uh, I see that uh, it makes sense that people uh, understand more. But do, I mean, the, there's a tendency for us to think, oh, Baltic states, they always get it mixed up with the Balkans or they always assume it's cold or they're not quite sure where it is on the map. Do you think that's changed a bit, that that itself has become a bit of a sort of cliche? Mm, yes and no. It's still gets misunderstood and uh, yes there are cases when you again uh, hear the Balkan states but uh, whatever I certainly use every opportunity to make sure that person now from that point on understands what he's speaking about so do I and so <laughs> yes. if anyone wants to know where this uh, radio <laughs> yes. show is happening then uh, please just check out our website <laughs> yes, yes. Um, but well from my point of view I thought it, that the Calulide suggestion was kind of nice in that it got people talking but i don't think the even benelux has much traction as they say in marketing beyond a certain sort of uh, brussels class of politically inclined people and it wasn't helped that the next day the walloon parliament uh, voted down the uh, uh, canada free trade agreement which didn't do much for benelux uh, image <laughs> in this part of the world <laughs> yes yes but uh, certainly uh, we can we can have a lot of uh, discussion about how could we call that uh, uh, cooperation or models or uh, what but uh, um, I think that we, when we are talking about uh, Europe uh, in uh, Europe in the world, we really have to understand that we have to find something to propose. And I feel that uh, innovation and startups and young people and young uh, new ideas—that's what we can propose, and that's what unites also uh, Baltic region and Nordic states. And I think I, I feel there a big potential. Well, maybe we had some kind of suggestion of, of, of that direction in another event, which was last week, when 
uh, representatives of all three Baltic states and Finland, which used to be a Baltic state, um, if you look at some sort of interwar maps, it's always included as a Baltic state, were outlining their um, plans to celebrate, commemorate uh, their centenar- centenaries of their founding, centenaries of their, their ind- respective independences. So Finland in 2017 and the three existing Baltic states uh, the year afterwards. Uh, What was you, I mean, I saw that you were there at the event Mm -hmm. as well. What was your impression? Was it that all four countries were thinking along the same lines or were there differences in that? I find it uh, really important that all those four countries are cooperating on uh, centenary programs and also on communication because uh, we are very close in this region, but sometimes we are shy people. And when uh, people, uh, when neighbors are communicating, it's it's not so normal maybe in, in, in our states uh, because we are shy and we respect uh, each other. And so we are not getting too close to other people. And uh, I think that celebrating together that's the idea that was the idea for all the countries uh, proposed and I think that's uh, that uh, will create a new energy and uh, certainly it can uh, uh, help to find that new image for the region itself well, it was it was quite telling as well that the first question from the press was, uh, "Are you competing with each other?" <laughs> <laughs> well, neighbors are always competing, but they are always also a good friends. Uh, Sometimes not, but uh, in case of these four countries, yes. Well, I thought there was one slight difference in emphasis uh, in, in what the four countries were saying. They were kind of into two groups. It seemed to me that Finland and Estonia were talking a lot more about what they fashionably call the legacy, so the, the things which are going to be left over afterwards. So we will have a renovated uh, town square, or uh, that's uh, everyone will get a musical instrument, all the kids will get a musical instrument. Whereas in, I thought, Latvia and Lithuania, it was more, well, this is a special year, we're going to make a big celebration about it, and then we move on. It was less about the legacy, it seemed to me. Actually, you, you'll find a lot of legacy in regions. Uh, we are now closely uh, commu- uh, communicating also and cooperating with association of uh, local municipalities and we see that uh, they are thinking how to uh, re- reshape the place, how to uh, get streets uh, more nice and uh, parks uh, better and uh, more useful and comfortable for people etc. A lot of ideas for from uh, students and uh, uh, people at large So, but uh, this is um, so to say Uh, important for local people and when you have this uh, international press conference I thought people are just uh, not talking about that because you can't talk about every project and every idea. What I find uh, interesting uh, regarding centenary programs and that's where Latvian Institute uh, will be and is uh, involved a lot, is uh, find that bigger context in what you uh, show uh, that centenary program abroad. Uh, Because uh, we remember that uh, after the First World War, uh, about 10 European countries uh, were founded. And uh, uh, so there's a question what those countries are uh, proposing the world today. And that's where you can come in with the uh, actual situation in Latvia. We're uh, telling about ordinary people, what ideas they have, uh, uh, also about uh, grassroots level activities, uh, about Lila Talk, about uh, ghetto games, uh, whatever. So I find that uh, focus also very interesting so that uh, there are issues of uh, what the uh, world is interested in and you try also to tell the Latvian story. Okay, great. Well, uh, I think we'll use that nice positive uh, uh, finish to the first half of the podcast and we'll be back again after this brief message.
Minutes from Latvia with Mike Collier. Well, welcome back to Minutes from Latvia with me, Mike Collier, and my guest today, Ivor Rosenberger, from the Latvian Institute. Uh, Ivor, could you just give us a little rundown on what the Latvian Institute actually is, uh, what its remit is, the things like what budget do you have, and and you know the general uh, nuts and bolts <laughs> of your job. Yes, the Latvian Institute is a governmental institution, and uh, it's run by four persons. So we are uh, one of the smallest institutions uh, in the country. At the same time, uh, we are very strong in coordinating information uh, that uh, we deliver abroad. And we collaborate uh, together with the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, with uh, different NGOs of Latvia, because I find really interesting that uh, we could uh, pass over information, not just from the governmental institutions and uh, official statistics and so on, but also stories about persons, about successes of different kinds of uh, community groups. Uh, our budget uh, is uh, small at the moment. It's uh, 90,000 a year. We'll have additional budget for centenary programs and uh, so that we'll be delivering, delivering more information in different kinds of communication channels. Uh, at the moment, uh, we are planning ourselves for centenary. Uh, uh, so uh, what uh, we are responsible for will be uh, programs for foreign journalists when they come to Latvia. We'll try to make the topics uh, uh, for them to be interested in Latvia first to come to. So uh, we'll try to spread that information and uh, to attract people here. So when they're here, we'll uh, give them opportunity to uh, cover those topics by preparing a program of interviews or we'll just let them free if they are interested so. So it's always a discussion between the journalist and our institute uh, how we can help or assist and then what what the journalist is interested himself or herself. And uh, If the, I might just sort of interrupt yes. there because foreign journalists are one of my favorite subjects, yes. <laughs> um, as you know. Um, how do you kind of, how do you choose the journalist that you work with because it seems to me that sometimes, and I know how the journalists think as well, okay, there are some charlatans out there. There are people who are just after a free ride, yeah. nice stay in a hotel, mm -hmm. and they'll promise you everything. People often have a quite a patronizing attitude towards uh, places like Latvia as well. And they'll show up uh, making out that they're, you know, the new H.L. Mencken or something, whereas <laughs> in fact, all they do is write a blog on their own website. Yes, yes. Um, How, how do you follow up on, on the visits? I mean, I can think of one uh, instance where last year there were even press releases going out about the visit of a certain uh, Canadian journalist and that she was going to write all this great stuff. And then when, when I checked out what she'd written, I mean, you could have dialed it in from, from home. Yes, uh, so I, I can really tell you about our uh, job, how we are trying to do it. And I know that also Leah, the Latvian uh, uh, Investment and Development Agency, are also 
also inviting business journalists and uh, uh, tourism uh, departments inviting journalists that write about tourism and so on. Uh, but uh, first, we are really checking the profile of, of the journalist uh, and, and then uh, our embassies abroad are also helping out in uh, uh, rechecking the names or rechecking the profiles. And, uh, well, uh, this will be my first time that uh, I will do that at the Latvian Institute. So always surprises uh, are there, uh, I, I believe so. Uh, but uh, we'll read through, my book, uh, by the way. Uh, uh, of course, I was laughing. I was laughing a lot and I really saw those profiles that you were... Uh, I, I have seen uh, them, of course, in my life too. But we'll do our best. We can't change the world. Yeah. So well, well, I would suggest like not too many of the uh, pre-arranged interviews because uh, mm. it's usually better if journalists kind of find their way yes, and find course, their own story. Of course. But the other thing I wanted to talk about was how sort of the role of Latvia's Institutes, the audience has changed a bit in that it used to be very much the dealing with uh, foreign press and it was all about talking to foreigners, basically. But you seem to have quite subtly and quite cleverly changed that, that you're now talking to the Latvian diaspora abroad. Could you just comment on that? I mean, the most famous instance is this uh, hashtag that went viral, Grivutevi Atpakal, I want you... Back. I want you back, yes. Yeah, which was, it definitely did get a lot of following. I mean, some of it was uh, quite uh, ironic, funny. shall we say, yes, and funny. Uh, yeah. uh, was that the intention? And I expect you'll say yes anyway, but um, do things like that really work? And can you address overseas Latvians in a way that they're not addressed just by the regular, you know, Latvian media. Mm -hmm. Yes, first thing that I came uh, in March uh, this year to the Latvian Institute and I wanted to understand how the work has been done uh, in relationship to our diaspora uh, abroad. And I thought we need uh, some new kind of way how to, how to uh, talk to our diaspora people. And... Um, also from my own experience, but that's, that was my understanding that we need a really personal touch on it. Because uh, there's also research, of course, uh, official research that the uh, diaspora uh, people, they first intend to uh, trust not the governmental institutions but in Latvia, but uh, their relatives, friends, etc. And I thought if we, inhabitants in Latvia, everybody of us would send a message, a personal note, be it a phone call, be it a uh, video chat or something, saying absolutely clearly that I want you back. I never said you. I never used those words because, mm. as I said, Latvians are quite shy. They would ask you, uh, make a Skype call three times a day and ask whether you had a good lunch today or how was it work. Mm. But they would be maybe shy uh, to say uh, once in a lifetime, I really want you back. I want uh, that day that maybe you will be alongside me again working or uh, living here in Latvia. So that was number one understanding. Then we really, uh, Brexit happened also. And uh, we thought our people, not just in Great Britain, but also in other countries, have to, they need uh, to understand that really we care as people, not just one governmental institution, mm. but people that they really uh, take care about them, uh, be it emotional. Uh, first, uh, like emotional assistance uh, that uh, uh, here at, at uh, home you can feel safe. 
whether you have just uh, quite strong emotional ties with Latvia if you are not available to come back and we are not naive uh, thinking that everybody would come back but at the same uh, one thing is strong ties with Latvia and the other thing is really uh, you can think of one day coming back and we know from the search that 16% of those who left are at the moment thinking of maybe how to get back mm. so that's a lot to my uh, estimation that's a lot and we have to work to, with them and also they are our first ambassadors so they are the ones who are talking to real people in in in, in other countries but do you think the maybe the problem or the reason why it came under some criticism despite you know getting a lot of currency was that the accompanying image was or the the one that was mainly circulated was like a woman with a kid there like and it was kind of implying i want you back the husband, you know, and, and rather than the I being Latvia the state, it was a sort of desperation to it, was it not? But at the same time, there is a lot of desperation. And uh, I thought we need a real picture, not, you know, the beauty of our nature. Everybody knows from our diaspora that Latvian nature <laughs> is beautiful. And that wouldn't tell that sorrow and that real wish, that strong emotional, so to say, cry. Yes, I want you back someday. And uh, I thought, yes, that was maybe painful for both parts not mm -hmm. just for Latvians uh, here but also abroad at the same time everybody heard that message they could criticize it they could be ironic but uh, they heard that and that's number one when you uh, really want to communicate you, you have to really get people listen to you or try to engage in some kind of dialogue be they angry or whatever emotions they have we have uh, too many emotions uh, under our car carpets. <laughs> we, we, just before centenary, we need to speak out. So if uh, kind of uh, you think that uh, that's a trauma for the whole nation, uh, that then really first what you need is to say loud, I have a problem and I know that problem. So I am angry about it. Mm. And uh, I want to speak it out. And uh, maybe you can help me. Maybe we can find both. We can find some way where to meet. Because also, there, uh, it's a lot of stereotypes here in Latvia about uh, what, who is in diaspora, what, people, uh, what lives they have. Uh, we just know that we know mm. what kind of lives they have and what they are thinking. But uh, when, uh, when we had the Latgala days in, in Ireland uh, in uh, September... Uh, the heads of municipalities, five heads of municipalities who were there from Latgale, they said, okay, we didn't know that uh, uh, what's life here and what people are thinking. And uh, the dialogue started and they said loud, we want you back. So I think that's very important. And of course, after this emotional phase, you need the pragmatic. And uh, that's what we are trying also in a kind of startup philosophy way uh, to activate so that we have uh, uh, worked together with uh, employers, state agency, with uh, Confederation of Employers of Latvia, with um, Association of Municipalities in Latvia, so that when they do their things, they would always take in mind uh, these, uh, this target group of diaspora and that they would also communicate back to diaspora people 
in whatever ways, uh, using social media, using uh, diaspora media and uh, uh, just getting physically there and tell the story. And I wanted, we're, time is almost out now, but uh, I wanted to finish with an apology from myself, actually, in that a year ago there was another initiative, uh, White Tablecloth Day which uh, I was incredibly cynical about. I mean, I'm cynical about most things, but I was particularly about this, which was an idea that you can gather communities around a white mm-hmm. tablecloth. We can talk about where Latvia has been, where it's going, all this kind of thing. And I thought, yeah, okay, uh, you just can't in- invent traditions like this. Uh, and I went along to my uh, local white tablecloth day And it absolutely worked. It was really, really good. People were standing up. They were uh, saying what they wanted to happen. They were coming up with quite practical suggestions, as well as, you know, listening to nice corkler music and things like that (laughs) as well. Um, So that was year one, though. (laughs) So I was absolutely wrong about year one. Mm. But do you think it's something which can be established as an ongoing tradition. Absolutely so, because uh, when we started uh, to help uh, Centenary Office to spread the idea, and that was very short before the 4th of May, uh, when the actual day was happening, and uh, we thought, okay, we are late, but let's try. We, we have uh, the first year, we want just uh, to help the office, and uh, uh, we, are, we were calling all the diaspora people to uh, also to get around the, the white uh, table and uh, celebrate. And uh, that was really also a bit of my surprise that it really went it was gorgeous pictures from so many countries abroad and and uh, when we had just a meeting of uh, associations of the diaspora here in Latvia two weeks ago or so everybody was coming to me and saying that was such a wonderful idea so sometimes I think for new traditions people need just something very simple yeah yeah, I think the simplicity can, was yeah, what made it work, yeah. really. And that is not that uh, that something unites you, not just you have to, again, understand what nationality <laughs> you're representing or what kinds of beliefs or whatever. This is what unites you. Well, I'm afraid our time's up. So thank you very much, Ayo, for joining me in the thank mini you. booth here, <laughs> which is familiar to you from your previous Latvian <laughs> radio days. Uh, I will, of course, be uh, expecting a nice stay in a hotel and a, a slap-up <laughs> meal in return for all this great publicity. And thank you, listeners, for listening to uh, the podcast. Uh, we'll be back in a couple more weeks with another Minutes from Latvia. Minutes from Latvia with Mike Collier. Produced by Renar Steimans for Latvian Public Media. Find out more at www.lsm.lv.